thank you guys. Thank you. Well, thank you for letting me kick off. Is it applied grace? Matt, is it applying grace? Grace applied? What did we decide? Grace applied now? Okay. It Ah, that's what matters, right? It's all about the Insta. That's what matters. Well, thanks for giving me the honor of kicking off this, this class here. I will introduce myself a little bit more here in a minute because I know I'm a new face to grace. But I'd like to just quickly here get to know you guys. So if you would give me your name and just how long you've been coming here, I'd love that. So we can start with Gabe. I know your name, but how long you've been coming here? Uh, Nine years, okay, wow, all right, all right. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, how about you? Teddy, I've been coming here for about two and a half years. Two and a half. Melissa, I've been here six years. Excellent, awesome. Sal? Twelve. Twelve, all right. Joey, since the beginning, so one month back. Yes, since Yeah, since grade. That's funny, that's funny. DJ. Lots of Jenny, and I have to say three names in the last three years. Okay. Um, Bill here, and Melissa said it's six years, and it's six years. <laughs> six years. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then Charlotte, we've been here maybe 10 years. Fantastic. Uh, I'm Richard. You're the package deal, right? Oh, 12. 12 years. Ooh. Two years. Two years. <laughs> Very good. Brett. Brett, yes, uh, about a year and a half. Year and a half? Yeah. Awesome. He's a baby here. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa, I've been here since the beginning, but before I met her family. Okay, awesome. David, seven days. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> I met you guys last week, yeah, okay. So you guys are newer than me. All right. <laughs> okay, all right. Rachel. All right, the same. Okay, well, it's good to know you all. I'm not going to remember any of your names. I'll just tell you that heads up. It's going to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that would be a good trick, yeah. Well, my name is Kyle Winkler, and I've just been here for four months. I think I came in, in August, and I've been here in Orlando for just a little over a year. I was driving down I-4 last July when I saw the billboard that said, God is not angry. I said, that sounds like my kind of a message. Yeah. <laughs> I'm originally from the St. Louis, Missouri area, a little bit south of there, about an hour south of there in a town nobody would know, so we'll just say St. Louis. Then I did my undergrad in South Florida um, in Palm Beach area. And there in college and a little bit after college, I did some political stuff. I've got a political bone in me. And then I also worked for a huge mega church down there that some people might know. It's called Christ Fellowship. Okay. Yeah. And then after that, I moved up to Pensacola to be part of a ministry that impacted me early on. It's an apologetics ministry. So I got to be the vice president of that ministry, was there for about five and a half years, went to seminary, got my master's of divinity in biblical studies from Regent University. And what's that? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And then I began my own ministry at that point. It's real creatively titled Kyle Winkler Ministries. And we are a media and a teaching ministry that really provide teaching and tools that reach the struggling and the hurting with the love and the grace of Jesus. 
and we just do that through online and television broadcasts in some ways. And I've written a few books. My third one comes out in April. And speaking engagements from time to time, do articles, and probably most known for this app that I had created some years ago called the Shut Up Devil app. Oh, <laughs> really? in, in, you've heard it? Okay, yeah, really kind of in your face thing. So that a little bit of that, that might come out throughout this, this message. So I don't tell you all that to claim that I am anybody, except I just think it's good for you to know who you're listening to. So we'll pray and we'll get the topic started. Sound good? All right, Father, I just thank you so much for who you are to us and who we are to you. Thank you for your goodness, and Lord, we just pray that as we look into you and your grace and your goodness, that it would just speak to us each uniquely in a way that would just encourage us and uplift us and transform us according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what I want to talk about today... You know, I've got this app called the Shut Up Devil app, so everybody I talk to always wants to talk about that kind of thing with me, so I talk about it with them. But it's, uh, the message is your greatest protection against the enemy. And I know that when anybody mentions something about the enemy or the devil, some people get real happy about that because they love to hear that stuff, and then other people get real freaked out because of wacky ways that this kind of stuff has been taught over the years. So I hope and it's, I think that I'm going to give you a grace-based perspective here today that you probably maybe haven't heard so much when people kind of talk on this subject. So I'm going to look at one verse. It's really all you need to know about the devil, right in this one verse. It's 1 Peter 5.8. And Peter here, he's writing to battle-weary Christians. And he says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil, He prowls like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, I could teach a whole message and unpack this about what it all says about how the enemy works, especially about why he's like a roaring lion. But for this message, I just want to focus in on one word, one name that reveals what you need to know. It's his name, the devil. It's more than a name like Billy, Bob, or Sue, or Sally, or Benjamin, or Bonnie, or anything like that. It's, it's like what most names are in the Bible. It's a job description. It's an identity of what he does. Devil in Greek is diabolos, which means slanderer. You guys know what slander is, right? It's the act of making a false statement intended to destroy somebody's reputation. Slanderer. I told you I did some political work. And the sad thing about politics, it's not going to surprise you guys these days, but all the strategists know it. They actually say, if you want to win, you got to do this, sadly. They know that your greatest weapon against your opponent is slander. It doesn't have to be true. It just has to be said. And that's enough just to put a little seed into people's minds that do a whole lot of damage. So the strategists know it, and so does the devil. So Peter is saying to us, hey, Christians, watch out, because the slanderer is out to get your reputation, to destroy your reputation. You have a reputation as a Christian. You know that, right? What is it? In one name, it's Jesus. You've got the reputation of Christ. You've got the character of Christ as a Christian. And the mind of Christ. Everything that comes with him, you've got. As 1 John says, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Galatians says that when you you believed that you were put in Christ, 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, anyone who is in Christ has become a new person. Everything old has passed away. All things have been made new. That's it. And in theological speak, that process of the old turning into new, it's a big word called regeneration. Don't get caught up in the bigness of that word here. What I want you to look at is the first six letters of that word, R-E-G-E-N-E. What's that spell? Who's quick at spelling here? Regene. You know your genes? They say so much about you. Some of your personality predispositions, the color of your skin, eyes, shapes of your features. Some of us have skinny genes and a little more loose-fitting for others. (laughs) But it says so much about you. Well, the Bible is saying that when you said yes to Jesus, when you became a believer, you got regened. I like to say you got designer genes. You got holy genes. <laughs> Ephesians 4.24 says that you got the character of Christ, the nature of God, which is two attributes of who God is. It says truly right and truly holy. Now, just to give you the answer right up front here to your greatest protection against the enemy that we'll unpack now and then apply to your life, Your greatest protection against the enemy and all of his slander and his lies and his deception is your identity in Christ, your righteousness in Christ. So to make it real personal to all of you in here, when you said yes to Jesus, yes, Jesus, I believe you are God's son. I believe you did what you said you did. You died and you resurrected to forgive me of my sins. When you say yes to that, then you were forgiven of your sins. You were put into Christ You were given his nature, made truly right and truly holy. And that's important because I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care. It doesn't matter what you've done, whatever. The enemy is going to come accusing. And he's going to come and he's going to say, look what you did 10 years ago. You fell to this. You were addicted to this. You were this. It doesn't matter. He's going to come accusing, and he's going to say, you broke God's laws. Therefore, you are guilty. Therefore, you've got to strive and strive and work yourself to be better. You're guilty. And yeah, if if Jesus weren't in the equation, we would be guilty. But the truth is, because of Jesus, you were forgiven You were made new, made right, made whole, made holy, put into Christ so that it doesn't matter what the enemy says. I mean, it doesn't matter. It could be something that you did yesterday. It could be something that you're sitting on today. It doesn't matter what the enemy says and how he says that you've broken God's laws and how he accuses. It doesn't matter. You have been made right in God's sight. And that's that's the ultimate protection against the enemy. Because, because of that, the power of sin, which is the power of the enemy, the Bible says that that is dead. That power is his power to try to keep you separated from God. That's really the only power that the enemy would have. Well, that's, that's dead. Romans 8.39 says that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And for those of you that like to go deep into the Greek, nothing in Greek means nothing. It means no person, no past, no body, no battle, no sin, no struggle, nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So that's why there are various places throughout the Bible where it talks about guarding yourself. 
One of the ones that you've probably heard the most, maybe you don't, haven't really understood what it means, but it's Proverbs 4.23. You know that verse, right? Guard your heart above all else. Because from it flows all the issues that King James says, the issues, and isn't that about right? Other versions say guard your heart because it steers, it directs the course of your life. Well, heart there in Hebrew isn't the blood-pumping organ at the center of our chest here. It's not talking about the physical heart in you. Heart in Hebrew is your inner self. It's the core of who you are. It's your mind, your will, your emotions, your physical and spiritual self. It's your identity. It's who you are. So... Proverbs there is saying, guard who you are. Guard what you believe about you. Because from that flows everything. You see, in Christ, your heart, who you are, as we've been saying, is defined as righteous. That's why when you get to Ephesians 6, those of you who've been in the church, and most of you have been in the church world for quite a while, You know, that's what's called the full armor of God, right? Probably the most famous, what's called spiritual warfare passage in Scripture. But when you get to that, Paul starts to list out these six pieces of armor that he likens to a Roman soldier's uniform. Six pieces that he describes not as things that we have to fight for, not as things that we have to beg God for, not as things we have to hope and wish and struggle for, but things that we have as ones in Christ. We've got a belt. We've got a breastplate. We've got shoes. We've got a shield, a helmet, and a sword. And he likens them each to something that we have and that we are as ones in Christ. So that belt he likens to truth. That's who we are and what we have in him. And then that leads into the breastplate, which he says is righteousness. Now, I told you that in the ministry that God has me lead that we provide teaching and tools. And so one of the things that I had the opportunity to do a couple years ago was film an e-course on the armor of God. From my perspective of it, which isn't that it's something that you suit up to fight a devil that's defeated, but it's something that you stand in to stand in the victory of who you are in Christ. And so I use life-size replicas of each one of these pieces to really show people what they would have looked like and then provide some spiritual and practical application. My favorite is the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to show you a photo here from, there it is, from the e-course there. That's what Paul was likening righteousness to, a breastplate like that, Roman soldier's breastplate. And it was known as the most beautiful piece of the armor, I think, for obvious reasons, because it was scaled with plates of bronze or iron that went all around the soldier. So what happened is the soldier marched around, they glistened in the sun as they reflected the sun. Now, later in in this message, I'm going to show you a clip where I'm actually lifting it up, and it was a real shoulder workout because that thing was 40 pounds or more. It was the heaviest piece of the armor, but it was heavy for a reason because of the protection it provided over the vital organs, most especially over the heart. Righteousness is meant to protect the heart. It's meant to protect who you are, because it becomes who you are. So you take Proverbs 4.23 in light of what Paul is saying of the breastplate being the guard of your heart. And it's saying that who you are because of what Jesus did 
That's your ultimate protection against all the wiles of the devil. The righteousness you have in Christ repels all the enemy's darts of doubt and does God really say kind of questions that we all hear from time to time, right? Things like, does God really love you with that issue? Does God really forgive you with that past? Will God really provide for you? Does God really have a plan for you? Well, without the righteousness of Christ, the enemy then comes in and answers all of those questions with why God shouldn't. If you're not confident in your righteousness and who you are in Christ, all those answers are going to get, all those questions are going to get answered by the enemy as to why you don't deserve it and aren't good enough and can't have it. And then cue the mind games. Cue the insecurity, cue the fear. I mean, every toxic emotion and every battle that you have in the mind, emotionally and spiritually and otherwise, will all come from the enemy trying to tell you that you aren't who God says that you are. You see, that's all the devil can do. I wish we Christians, and you guys probably get it in here more than most, but I wish we Christians would really understand that the only power that the enemy really has over a Christian, I mean, so many people are trying to do all kinds of things, do all kinds of things to try to defeat a devil who is already defeated. We're trying to do all this stuff when in Christ, the enemy really can't defeat you in any real way. All he can do is one thing that, yes, can be powerful if you don't know this, but when you know this, it really means he can't have much influence over you. All he can do is lie to you, slander and deceive you. He's a liar. That's it. That's all that he can do is try to convince you that you aren't who God says that you are, that you've got to work your way to it, strive and strive to earn something from God. And then, oh, around and around and around and around it goes until you are burned down and beat down in guilt and condemnation and depression and despair and insecurity and every other thing that we deal with. So that's why we guard our heart. We guard who we are with the righteousness that we have in Christ. You have to know that. Now, when we talk about righteousness, I've got to tackle one of the enemy's greatest deceptions regarding it. I even, I get this any time that I go through the e-course, taught it live several times, and inevitably, it's not going to be a surprise to any of you guys here that people really struggle with what righteousness really is because just we're born into this world where we're born into a system where you have to do to get, right? To, To use this phrase that was overused couple years ago, quid pro quo, right? Do to get. You got to achieve to succeed. You got to work to earn something. I mean, that's just the natural world that we live in, and the church world has picked that up. And so that's in us, and the enemy, I think, makes it almost sound holy. I mean, it almost sounds right. It almost sounds like it's the thing to do. It almost sounds good, like you said. Because he will say, oh, well, the way to protect yourself from my accusations is you just got to be better. You just got to follow God's laws better. If, if you can just do that, then you're going to have nothing to be guilty of. You're going to have nothing that you have to be protected from. And it sounds, like I said, almost so holy, except his deception is that he knows you can't do it. 
He knows you can't do it, so he wants you to try to get to do it so that you in, will inevitably fail, so that he can be there with his accusations saying, oh, you broke God's laws, now you're guilty again, now you just got to do better, try harder, so that then, oh, you inevitably fail, oh, you're a horrible person, you're this horrible sinner, you got to do better, try better, and around and around and around and around it goes. It'll destroy you. There was a few months ago, I was up back one of the places I used to live. And I was talking to some friends there. And one of them, she was telling me about this lady at her job that she is kind of mentoring. And this lady was at her wit's end. Because she is part of a church that was telling her, and I'm not evangelistically speaking here. I'm not exaggerating here. She is, they're telling people that in order to maintain their salvation, it was dependent upon the color of fingernail polish they were wearing. I knew that evoked that response in some of you. (laughs) Some of you may have been there before or something like that. Literally, they were telling the women that, it shouldn't be funny, it's more sad than anything, but you know, I mean, they were telling, if, if they were wearing anything but, pink or white fingernail polish that they were going to hell. And in that neck of the woods, they probably said it like that too. They were going to hell. (laughs) You know, I don't, I try to have a kinder way of saying it, but I don't have a kinder way of saying it than what a slap in the face to Jesus' suffering. Except, you know, we kind of do the same things when we make salvation and maintaining the salvation about anything other than the sincere belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that is God's son. Absolutely. I mean, we say things. People say things. Christians say things. I don't know, Billy Bob, you just got to gotta read your Bible 10 minutes a day to be a Christian. <laughs> you got you to make sure you're in the church seat every Sunday to be a Christian. You got you to give a certain percent. Make, make sure you're a Christian. Can't eat this. You can't drink that. Make sure you're a Christian. Am I, am I saying that any of those things are bad things to do? No, obviously it's good to read your Bible. You get to know who God is. It's good to go to church because many reasons, but to see faces like yours, right? There are obviously things that it's better that we don't touch. It's better that we're not involved in, but that's because it helps us. Not because any one of those things are the source of righteousness itself. Oh, learn from what I had to learn, folks. I mean, I was raised... Catholic, very, yeah, yeah, very devout, and of course that comes with its own set of do's and don'ts, genuflect in the right way, and hold your hands out for communion in the right way, and on and on and on it goes, and so I came to a non-denominational, charismatic church, 16 years old, with some friends, didn't know that kind of thing existed in my hometown, (laughs) all it was was Catholic and Lutheran, and they thought they were polar opposite from each other. And I'd learn later how similar they are, I guess, but yeah. And so I come into to this church I never knew existed as a very shy and timid and insecure and shame-ridden 16-year-old sophomore boy who fell in love with Jesus because of how I heard that he cleansed me of the past and had power for my life. But somewhere along the line, And I don't think that anybody actually said it 
except for the religious system just has a way of you know, putting it on us. Somewhere along the line, I came to believe that maintaining my salvation and maintaining peace with God and rightness with God and God's love ultimately was up to me fixing myself of my every problem and trying to keep it, stay right with God. So inevitably what I did, and some of you I know can relate to this type of stuff, inevitably what I did is I turned the faith into nothing but a spiritual self-help program. And the Bible became nothing more than a bunch of spiritual principles to try to keep me right with God. So it was like, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. And it just, it just about did me in. I mean, if you, if you are trying to maintain your salvation and your status before God by trying to do all of these things and not do all of these things, you will battle every mind gain known to humankind because you're trying to do something cannot be done in your flesh. You will be in over your head trying to do something that Jesus came because he knew you couldn't do. I mean, simple question here. It ought to be a simple question, but people, some people get really baffled by this. If your salvation were up to the color fingernail polish that you wear, why did Jesus come? If it were up to how often you attend church, why did Jesus die? If it were up to what you eat and don't eat, what you drink and don't eat, why did Jesus suffer? I'll give you the answer. Jesus came to do what you couldn't do for yourself. He came to fulfill all the requirements for you because he knew you couldn't do it. The law didn't work. He knew it didn't work. The law is not there to show you how to be right with God. The law is there to show you that you can't do it on your own. It's there to point you to Jesus. If you are trying to protect yourself from the enemy's accusations and trying to earn your right standing with God by a bunch of don'ts, you know what's going to end up happening? You're going to end up being more enslaved to the enemy than otherwise. Why? Because of a natural principle of the mind, of the fallen mind, that Paul summarizes in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, when he says that the law gives sin its power. Now, wait a minute. That sounds so contrary because doesn't following a bunch of do's and don'ts actually keep us from sinning? Like I said, a lot of this stuff sounds good, which is why it's so deceptive. It sounds spiritual, but we all know it doesn't work out because the moment that I say don't eat a brownie, guess what? Your mind goes to think about eating a brownie. <laughs> At least my mind did. It might always be on brownies, though. The moment you keep telling your kids, don't jump on the couch, what are they going to eventually do? They're going to jump on the couch. When the enemy presented to Adam and Eve what they shouldn't have, that's exactly what they had. When your mind gets consumed with all the things you shouldn't do and can't do and watch out for, you end up doing those things so you're better off keeping your mind set on the freedom that you have. That principle of looking towards the freedom that you have that's actually what it said that people that have to make quick maneuvers like skiers and pilots, that's how they protect themselves from danger. Because when you're going down a slope at what, 30, 
40 miles an hour, and you're thinking, oh, can't hit that tree, can't hit that tree, watch out for that tree, watch out for that tree, you're going to slam into a tree because you're focused on nothing but the trees. So what do they do? They've got to focus on the path in front of them. They've got to focus on the freedom of the path in front of them. And it's the same for you. If you're always focusing on the do's and the don'ts, you end up doing the don'ts. It's what I call the crazy cycle of self-righteousness. It's based on Paul's principle from 1 Corinthians 15, 56, that law gives sin its power. And it just works itself out that you try to do all the, all the do's and the don'ts, and you try to watch out. And, you know, I don't mean to prophesy failure over you, but let's just be real here. You're going to fall because you're human. You're going to make a mistake. You're not going to be able to live up to it. And then the enemy's going to be there with his accusations. Look what you've done. You're a horrible person. Are you even saved? And it's going to bring you shame. And he's going to tell you, and you're going to believe that the way to do it then is you've got to get better. And then you're going to fall again and be in shame. And around and around and around it goes. It's the crazy cycle of self-righteousness. It will make you crazy. It will burn you out. It doesn't work, which is why Jesus came. So rather than focus on all the don'ts, focus on your freedom in Christ. Focus on who you are in Him. That will protect you like a breastplate. But you know what? Just naturally speaking, you'll, you'll do better anyway. You'll be more conformed to the image of Christ anyway because you'll be focused on Him. You know, when Jesus came, there were 613 Jewish laws and a whole bunch of other rabbinical laws that were added onto it, interpretation from interpretation, and the people were burdened. That's why Jesus said, my burden is easy, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He didn't come adding a bunch of more don'ts. He just basically summarized it all into two do's. Love God and love people. And you know what? There's a whole lot of freedom on that path in front of you. Just love God and love people. You just focus on that, and you're going to naturally repel the darts of the enemy's doubts and all of his attacks, and you're going to naturally grow more into Jesus because you're just following the path of freedom in front of you. So let's, in the last part of this message here, let's get real practical. This is grace applied, right? So with that foundation there, and I hope it was thorough enough for you, but with that foundation there, let's, let's just, how, how do you apply this in your everyday life? Let's say, let's say that after this, you go into the service and you get all spiritual. And then after that, you decide to go on on to lunch and you get onto I-4 and I-4 has a great way of just taking the spirituality out of you really quickly, right? Yeah. In the parking lot, yeah, yeah, yeah. And somebody cuts you off and out slips out of your mouth something that doesn't quite sound like the hallelujah chorus you were singing an hour ago, right? Come on. And after the anger from that idiot on the road subsides, now guess what happens? Oh, no. How could you say that? you got to get your mouth under control. Are you even really a Christian to say those kinds of things? Well, how does righteousness protect you from that kind of thing? Does it mean that you should just, you know, not care about it and just ignore it and just keep doing it? And I'm not saying that kind of thing. But what I am saying is that your failure didn't change your status before God. I am saying that your failure doesn't mean that God doesn't love you anymore. I mean, that's, that's 
what the enemy is going to try to make you do. It's going to try to make you think that, oh, I've got to re-earn this love. I've got to get back on the crazy cycle of self-righteousness and, and, and try to do better. So that means I've got to lock myself in the prayer closet for two hours. I've got to go start a seven-day juice-only fast in order to cleanse myself and get right with God. And I've got to rebuke and bind the devil seven ways from Sunday. And I've got to, I've got to cancel hosting Bible study this week because I've got to get clean enough to be able to have God use me. So how do you protect yourself from going down that slope of condemnation and performance mode that the enemy wants to get you into? Well, it's one word, one word that freaks a lot of people out because it's been misused, misconstrued over the years, but it's really a beautiful word. It's called repent. I know ever, what do you mean? Aren't you just, didn't you just tell me that it's not about what you do? Yeah. I know a lot of people have made repentance all about mustering up your own willpower and, and trying to be better and stop everything and turn from this and that. And, and certainly repentance changes you, but it's not about you mustering up any willpower to try to stop something and try to be perfect and try to earn something from God. It's ultimately, as you guys know, you've heard this before. It's a Greek word, metanoia which is a compound word from two words, meta and nous, which is change of mind. So it's really change your mind about what that mistake means about you. I mean, yeah, maybe you go to God and maybe you say, God, you know, I know I blew it. I don't want to do this, but I thank you that you still love me. I thank you that I am your righteousness. I thank you that that didn't change my status before God. And it's not going to change my status before God that I am who you say that I am. So empower me to do better, but I'm walking here from now in the truth of who you say that I am. I am being renewed to the joy of my salvation. That's what it's all about. It's not about you going to God hoping that he might forgive you. Oh God, I did it again. I'm so sorry. No, it's about you being renewed to the joy of your salvation. That's what's going to empower you for anything. That's what's going to be your greatest protection against the enemy. You do that, the enemy really can't do anything to you. I mean, none of his stuff can stick because it's not about you. It's about him. It's about him. It's about Jesus. So as we close this message here, I want to take you back to that, to the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to show you a clip here. I put in the slow motion of me holding up that breastplate. And I only do this to help your vision kind of see what it would have looked like as it was full length and on the soldier's torso. So there we go. So there I am holding it up. So imagine, imagine the breastplate on that Roman soldier. And the cool thing about that is the breastplate was the only immovable piece of the armor. It couldn't be cut off. It couldn't be knocked off. When they fell and tripped, it didn't come off. No body and no battle can take it away. Well, imagine yourself in that righteousness, because you are. As a believer, you are. It's the most immovable piece. It's not going anywhere. And the cool thing about it on you 
is that as you're going around your everyday life and you're marching in your everyday life, I don't care what terrain you're on, I don't care what soil you're on, I don't care how difficult things are, what obstacles are in your way, I don't care what you slip up and trip over. That's not coming off. It's not just an attribute or a quality that you have. It actually becomes who you are. Who you are in Christ is the righteousness of God in Christ. And that will be, confidence in that will be your greatest protection against the enemy's slander and lies and deception. Because when you know who you are and what you have in Christ, it keeps the enemy silenced in your life. You want to talk about shut up devil. It's not about yelling and screaming and binding and rebuking and all of these things that we've made spiritual warfare, so to speak, be. It's about knowing who you are. Despite all of the other junk and stuff that the world's tried to put on you, it's about knowing who you are because of who he is and what he's done. You get that? Does it help anybody today? Awesome. Well, Father, I just thank you so much for your word and who you say that you are. You say that we are in you. God, would you just help us to keep our minds renewed to that? And anytime the enemy comes to accuse us, and we just change our minds about what those things mean about us to know that they mean that we are still in you and loved by you, and that is not changing, Father. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.